All right, thanks, Amy. Uh, good morning. How are y'all doing? Good, good. Well, welcome, Fellowship Asheville. Um, if you're new today and I didn't get a chance to meet you, I'd love to, to say hi bef- before you leave. But even if you're new today and joining us online, here's uh, what I hope happens today. It's, it's what I hope happens every Sunday, but, but they say one of the uh, rules of teaching is repetition, repetition, repetition. And so, so let me repeat what I hope happens. I hope that you are inspired to walk in more faith and trust today in Jesus than you had yesterday. And even better, I hope you are inspired to walk in more faith and trust to Jesus tomorrow than even today. And if that's what you want uh, for your soul, if that's what you want for for your spirit, then, then congratulations, you have found your people. Uh, because we, no matter who you are or where you are, we, we, we really are a church for you. And today, uh, we're, like Amy said, we are going to start a new series called Rebuilders. But here's one of the things I've, I've heard about people, and I kind of want to get a gauge on y'all and see where you are. I've heard uh, that there are two types of people in this world when it comes to an alarm clock going off, like the one we have here. Right? There's, there's either this type person which is the good morning Lord person, right? Or there's the good Lord, it's morning person. So, uh, so uh, for those of you who are in person, let's see a show of hands. Are you, and for those of you online, like give me a comment and let me know which one you are. Are you a good morning Lord person? All right, we've got a few of you. Congratulations. Um, uh, and I love this. We've got a couple that are both good morning Lord people. That's nice because most Couples, you got one or the other, but not both. Uh, so the rest of you then, raise your hand if you are a good Lord, it's morning person. Yeah, yeah. Online, I'd love to, to know what you are as well. Because you see, um, we all respond differently to an alarm clock going off, don't we? We all, we all have one of those two responses. Well, today, we are going to see an alarm clock in these, in these, in, as we start this new series that I hope everyone can respond to. As a matter of fact, what I want to do is stop and take just like a few seconds and pray for us. Pray for us to settle down. Pray for us to, to, to hear the Lord this morning. Jesus, um, you love awakening our souls. And you love showing us where we were wrong about something so that we can make it right. And you love showing us something new. And you love moving us into places that require more faith and more trust in, in who you are. And so, God, I pray for each of us today. I pray that we can, we can listen to your voice, that we can hear you clearly. Um, Father, that you will begin stirring something in our hearts and in our souls that only you can do. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, as we start... As we start this, this series on Ezra and Nehemiah, um, and they're in the Old Testament, what I want to do is I want to show you how these two books fit into the story of the Bible, fit into the, to the history of the Old Testament. So if you will, if you have your Bible, open it up, not to Ezra yet, open it up to the table of contents. Right, and if you if you don't have a Bible and you've got one on your phone, go to the to the little to the little tab that that has uh, the table of contents there. And I want to show you real quick what we see as we lead up to Ezra and Nehemiah. You see, the first book of the Bible is Genesis, right? And that's where God created all things. And we see in Genesis that God births a, a, a people and He puts them in the garden. And, and then they move from the garden to the, to the world, and, and, and we see God uh, turn a family into what will be a nation. 
And then from Genesis, we go to Exodus because that family uh, left the land that God gave them and, and went to Egypt, right? And, and, and then in Egypt, they grew from a family into a nation, but they were a nation under slavery. God brought them out of slavery. And so, so in their wanderings, the, the, how, to re, how to live in their faith and how to respond in their faith. So Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers is where they're wandering in the desert. Right, And Andrew did a great job of walking through this last week about why they were wandering in the desert. And they were wandering there because of the disobedience of the previous generation, right? And, and, and they had to, that previous generation died off so that this new generation could enter back into the land of God's promise. And so they did. And when they entered into that land of God's promise, this new generation needed a new teaching on the law, which is what Deuteronomy is. It's, it's, it's the law again. Deute, it means the second law. That's what the word Deuteronomy means. And so as this nation enters the, the, the land of promise, you have Joshua, who is their leader, who leads them into this land. And then you've got the judges, right? When they're in this land, the judges is the, is the historical account of the men and women who led the nation of Israel, right? And that's, that's, where, that's where Andrew stopped. He talked about judges last week, and you have Ruth in there, and she's, she, her story is a part of that, a part of that history in judges. Well, what we see, though... As we look through this, is that, is that we see a God who sticks to his promises, right? Because with every turn of the page, you see a nation and you see a people who, who say they follow God and yet continue to fail and continue to make mistakes. And yet you see a God who never gives up on them. As a matter of fact, they go through this time of judges and the judges weren't enough. They wanted a king. And so the next three books, well, the next... One, two, three, four, five, six books are the stories of those kings. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, and first and second Chronicles are the stories of the kings of Israel. And they wanted a king because they wanted someone to stand between them and God. They wanted a leader that would take the responsibility and take the mantle of following God. But what you see when you go through these books is that no man can stand between God and someone else. No human can do that. Because this book is full of, of, of people, some, some were good kings and some were bad kings, but the underlying story in all of it is that God sticks to their promises, so God sticks to his promises. Well, those books of the kings end with the nation again leaving the land of promise. This time they leave by force, and they're forced into this land called Babylon, this, this, this Persian and Assyrian empire. That's where we pick up with Ezra. Because Ezra is the story of them coming back to the land of promise, to the land that God gave them. So now turn with me to Ezra chapter 1. And we're going to cover chapters 1 and 2 today. And, 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 and like Amy said, we're calling uh, this series, as we go through Ezra and Nehemiah, we're calling this series Rebuilders. Because in these two books, Ezra and Nehemiah, we're going to see a lot of rebuilding. Right? We're going to see God rebuild a temple, and we'll see what, what I mean by that. We're going to see God rebuild a city, and we're going to see God rebuild a people. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I feel like there's a lot of rebuilding going on these days, isn't there? 
Do you feel like you've been rebuilding a lot coming out of this pandemic and kind of sorting through, okay, what does this next chapter of my life look like? What, did I, what do I need to pick up and keep that I learned during the pandemic and what do I need to leave behind me? See, we're all rebuilding, which is why I wanted to go through these two books because I think it speaks to a unique time in our history, not only as a, as a people, but as a church, of what it means to rebuild. And, and here's the question that we're going to be asking as we work our way through these books. What if? Like, what if the, the story that we see unfold in these historical books, what if they aren't just stories for history? What if it is actually a pattern that God does? Where he puts his people in places where they rebuild what if it's a picture of what God is doing in all of our lives? What if it's a picture of what God wants to do with this church to rebuild who we are as a church? For, to, to put us in a place, not only you individually, but us as a community where, where we have to walk in more faith and trust in Jesus. What if God has us in this time of rebuilding right now? What if you and I have areas in our lives that need to be rebuilt? You see... As we think our way through these two books, as we teach our way, and as we, as, we, as we engage with God's word in this way, what we will see, and y'all, this is true no matter if, if you're a kid, if you're a student, or if you're an adult, what we will see is that we all have a place in God's rebuilding. That God actually has a very unique and specific plan for you to be lived out through this community of a church in rebuilding. And what I hope that we see today as we focus on the first two chapters in Ezra is this, is that when God rebuilds, he first awakens. When God rebuilds, the very first step in that is that he is going to awaken you. He is going to awaken your soul, which is why we have this handy-dandy alarm clock, right? Um, by the way, this is similar to the alarm clock that I had in college. My roommates hated me, but... I needed something this loud to actually get up because I uh, in, it was, at that point, I was definitely a good Lord this morning person. So that's why I had that. Right? As a matter of fact, in doing this, I've heard there are tons of different alarm clocks too. Like obviously, you know, you have the little digital one. I heard that there's one alarm clock that sits on your, on your counter or dresser or whatever. And when it goes off, it starts shaking and rolling around the room. So you have to get it. Then I heard another one that's an app on your phone that when the alarm goes off, and y'all, this sounds like torture, because to turn the alarm off, you have to complete a math problem first thing in the morning, right? Like there are all kinds of alarm clocks, right? And what I hope today is that we hear, uh, we hear uh, God's alarm clock. It's also why the stage uh, looks pretty uh, uh, like we're rebuilding, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, the Shay, the guy who's running sound, like, and each week we're going to add something to that to represent what we've learned that day. Well, it says, in the first year of Cyrus, and I want to tell you a little bit about this place called Babylon, this, this Persian empire. Now, I'm not going to go too deep into history here, uh, but I want you to get a picture of where the nation of Israel was at this time. Because this empire... Uh, stretched from, from Asia to Africa and into Europe. It was huge, right? It was, one of the, it was the largest empire at the time. But what's unique about this empire, what's unique about the Persian Empire is as they conquered people, which they did very well, you didn't actually have to become Persian to be part of the Persian Empire. You, got to, you, you, you still got to worship your gods. As a matter of fact, this king, King Cyrus, was known for, for rebuilding temples that were destroyed. 
right? He would let people go back and rebuild the temple in their homeland. Now, here's why. It wasn't necessarily this huge act of generosity for King Cyrus. What he figured is that if, if he did your God a favor, one day he could call in that favor from your God, right? And so Cyrus was this very spiritual man who believed in gods, and because of that, he let people worship their gods. But the author of this book wants us to see something particular, about this guy, Cyrus, about this King Cyrus. Look at what he says. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord went by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. All right, so before we get to, to Cyrus, Cyrus's decree, there was another decree that this author wants you to know from this prophet named Jeremiah. Now, here's what Jeremiah said, right? Jeremiah was this prophet to the, to the nation. And as they were in exile, as they were leaving uh, the promised land and in Babylon, this is what Jeremiah said. He said, for thus says the Lord, this is Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. He says, for thus says the Lord, when the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So as they're leaving the the promised land, this prophet Jeremiah is telling them, listen, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years, but God's going to do something to bring you back. So they go into exile knowing this promise of God is that they're going to return. And God is so kind to even give them an alarm clock on it, right? In 70 years, that alarm is going to go off and you're going to be able to come back. Now, Jeremiah goes on to some verses that I think we're all familiar with, right? Because Jeremiah 29 verses 11 and 12 says this, right? It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. So, so Jeremiah, this prophet, gives them this, 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 this prophecy, you're going to come back in 70 years. And, and God's promised that. But not only is he promised that, that he's going to bring you back in the land, he also spoke about something else is going to happen that's even bigger than having a land. Not only are you going to come back to the land, you're going to come back with this relationship with God. Because if you notice, the, the, the end of that is, is that you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. And that is relationship language with God. And so God is saying, listen, when you come back, you're going to have this relationship with God. Now, you're going to have it in Babylon, but it's going to be different. But when you come back and rebuild, you're going to feel this relationship. In other words, listen, when you come back in that promise, you're going to need that relationship because of what's going to be in front of you. Well, now look at who else, who else God's alarm clock goes off for. Because it says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. So not only did God speak through a prophet, like we get that, right? Like we expect that. It says that God stirred in the heart of, of this king of Persia, of Cyrus. Now this word, this word stirred up means to awaken, right? That's what the word means. Now, but it's not to awaken from a sleep, right? It's not walking into your kid's room on Monday morning to get them up for their Zoom or get them up and get them ready for school and stuff. It's not that kind of awaken. It's, it's an enlightenment to a specific need. It's a calling, if you will. It's where, it's where confusion meets clarity. That's stirred up. It's where passion meets purpose. That's stirred up. It's where injustice meets compassion. That's what stirred up means. 
And God stirred something up in this, in this king's heart. It's when, it's when you realize something is true that you didn't realize was true before. And so you adjust your actions accordingly. And so what is this stirring of the king? Look at what he says. It says, The Lord stirred up the spirit of, of, Cyrus, of, of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and also put it in writing. So this goes out to the entire empire. He says, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all of his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Let each with silver and gold and whatever goods and, and with beasts besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And so this king makes a decree that no matter where the Jewish people are, no matter where in this empire the nation of Israel has settled, guess what? They can come back. They can come back to their land and they can rebuild their temple. And not only can you come back... He told people, I want you to give them money to go. I want you to make contributions to them. I want you to make reparations, if you will, for the fact that they've been in captivity and bring them back to the place that they called home. Now imagine, this decree goes out to, to this vast empire that's, that's over Asia and, and Europe and down in Africa. And, 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 and it's, it's not only can you go back to your homeland, we will pay you to go back. Now, you would expect the next few verses to read that every person who claimed to follow the God of Israel got up and left. Right? That's what you would hope happens. But look at verse 5. It says, Then rose up the heads of the fathers of the house of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, and everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. So here's what's interesting. Y'all, not everybody went. But everybody that God stirred to go, went. The whole nation didn't go, but everyone stirred by the Spirit of God went. Everyone who heard God's alarm clock, they went. And so God's alarm clock, you see, went off for Jeremiah to speak about this future event. It went off to this, to this king, this, this pagan king over this empire to allow the nation to come back. And it went off in the soul of a few people to, to return. But for those who heard God's alarm clock, everyone went. But not only did they go, like look at verse, look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this, and all who were and all let's see and all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver with gold with goods with beasts and with costly wares beside all that was freely offered Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of the gods Cyrus king of Persia brought these out in charge of I don't even know how to say that the treasure and counted them out to Sheshbazar we'll say it that way um, and the prince of Judah, 
And the number of them was 30 basins of gold, 1,000 basins of silver, 29 censers, 30 bowls of gold, 410 bowls of silver, and 1,000 other vessels. All the vessels of gold and silver were about 5,400. So they got this, this the gold and silver dumped on, on them. And all of these did Shesh Bazar bring up when the exiles were brought from Babylonia to Jerusalem. So what happened is they were paid to leave the land of Babylon and come back to the nation of Israel. And they were given also what was taken from them. Because you see, when, when, they were, when they were taken over in Israel, the temple that was there had been destroyed. And these censers and, and this gold and silver were the stuff that was in the temple. And now it was taken to Babylon and put in other temples, but it was given back to the nation of Israel so that they could rebuild their temple. And so in this very first chapter, we see God's alarm clock go off for his people and even for a pagan king and goes off for this this prophet. But it wasn't for just the sake of an aha moment. Like it wasn't just for enlightenment. It was for a response. God actually wanted the people to do something. Right? Now church, we need to hear that. That our faith is seen in our actions. And if your faith isn't seen in your actions, it gives everybody reasonable cause to go, man, is their faith real? Right? God's alarm clock is for a response. Right? God's alarm clock creates a response. God's alarm clock points to a need, and that need demands action. Now, in this case, the response was to to rebuild the temple. but, But more than that, More than that, as with all things God, our obedience, our saying yes to God's alarm clock, it's not just about the actions, right? It's about the relationship with God. It's not about the actions for God. It's about the relationship with God. Because when God asks you to do something, you're going to need him to do it. One of my favorite quotes uh, is I think the guy's name is George Shroud. I've tried to find out who he is, and for a long time I just had the quote and had anonymous written under it. Uh, but thanks to the internet, I think I've been able to find who said it. But he said this, he said, Attempt something so great for God that it is doomed to failure unless God be in it. Now for some of you, that means getting out of bed in the morning. Right? Like, let's be real. This isn't starting a missions organization that is going to change the world. For a few of you, it's that. But for most of us, it's showing up at your job and being a good, faithful Christian there. Right? It's being kind and merciful to your kids. Right? Can you to do? And the reason he asks you to do it is because he wants you to trust him more in it. Because remember what Jeremiah had spoken. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. So God knows what he's asking you to do. Plans of welfare and, and, and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And so God's plans are good plans, right? He says, but then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. That's a relationship with God. You see, whenever God's alarm clock goes off, it creates this response that's ultimately designed to restore to rebuild and to reignite the relationship between you and God. Now, I can remember the moment God's alarm clock went off for me to start this church in Asheville. 
We were here with my family, and, and we were downtown, and I felt the Spirit of God say to me, you need to start a church here in Asheville, and gave me the names of a couple of guys that, that, that I, were, I was to ask to help be a part of this. And I'm going to tell you, that was, in, that was in, what, 2005 that that happened? In 2008, we moved here to plant the church? And, and this church has had some incredibly great moments and some incredibly hard moments. But I'm going to tell you, I would not be the man I am today without saying yes to that call in downtown Asheville in 2005. I can tell you, I know Jesus better today than I did then. And it's not just because 15 years have passed. It's because God continues to put me in places where I need to trust him more and I need to have more faith in who Jesus is and who God is than I did before. And that has changed me for the good. You see, to you, I wonder if God's alarm clock has gone off. And maybe not this morning, like, like, like maybe it's been, it's been nagging at you for a while. And maybe for some of you, the alarm clock that, that you need to respond to is the fact that God is actually speaking to you. Like God has been this, this distant uh, figure for too long. And, and for him to have a personal and intimate relationship with you either sounds crazy or scary or crazy scary, Right? And maybe your first alarm clock to respond to is Jesus' invitation to follow him as Savior and as Lord. And to let Jesus' uh, sacrifice on the cross pay for the penalty of, of your sin, of the things that you've done that you know you shouldn't do, and the things that you don't do that you know you should. Jesus Faith pays for that, and he fixes that, and he makes all things right. And so maybe for you, that alarm clock is to respond to not follow your own ways anymore, but to follow God's and to put your life into the hands of Jesus. See, it doesn't matter if you're a kid or an adult or a first-time churchgoer, or y'all hear me, if you're a long-time churchgoer. Maybe your first step is to actually trust Jesus. And to say yes to him. And for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, maybe we need to give ourselves space to hear God's alarm clock. And maybe we need space to answer this question, what is God stirring in you? And maybe he's been doing it for a while and you've been putting it on the back burner. Or maybe as I've been talking, you're like, Fred, I have no idea what God is stirring. Actually, I'm, a, I'm scared to ask that question. That's okay. This whole series is designed to stay, take stuff that you've put on the back burner and let God move it to the front burner. This whole series is designed to help you know what God is asking you to do. Not just for you, but for us and with us. You see, if God is stirring you up to do something, what he's stirring you up to do is he's stirring you up to have a deeper relationship with him and walking in more faith and trust with him. And here's what I love about God stirring in us is that in this next chapter, we're going to see that every person, every family is recorded. Because you see, here's this, this truth and this principle that no matter who you are or where you are, God really does have a place for you. Like this church can't be this church without God working in and through you. 
This city can't become all that this city needs to become without God working in and through you. There is a place for you, no matter who you are or where you are. Look at verse, uh, cha- verse 1 in the next chapter. Chapter 2, it says this. It says, Now these were the people of the province who came out of captivity, of those who were exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive into Babylonia. That's who conquered the nation of Israel. And they returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. And so what we're going to see here is we're going to see a record of all those responded to God's stirring. All those who heard God's alarm clock in their soul and and who said, yes, there is this need. And yes, God is asking me to go do it. And we're going to see who those are. Look at verse 2. It says, they came with Zerubbabel and Yeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bashlon, Mispar, Bob, Big and Billy Bob, right? I'm not going to read the rest of the verses of this chapter because it's a whole bunch of names. Leaders, Ezra doesn't even show up into chapter 7, right? And if you keep reading this chapter, like I said, I won't because there's a whole bunch of names here. Here's what you're going to see. You're going to see all kinds of people responded to God's call. Normal people, plain people, Levites responded, right? The assistants to the Levites responded. Their assistants responded. And if you look in verse 64, you'll see that the number of people that responded were 42,360 people said yes to God's alarm clock going off. That is a fraction of the nation of Israel said yes. A small percentage But the point is, that is exactly who God stirred to come. That is exactly who God needed to be there. And this record of them responding to God's alarm clock is this. Because you see, when God's alarm clock goes off, first of all, he knows who he put that alarm clock in front of. And he knows who's going to respond. See, your obedience is noticed. Your obedience is noticed. And y'all... I'm going to tell you a story from the book of Acts that shows the heart of God in noticing your obedience. Because sometimes when you use a word like obedience, parents come to mind, right? And making you obey or forcing you to, to obey or disciplining you to obey. God's heart is more like a cheerleader when it comes to obedience. When, when Stephen, in the book of Acts, right, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is this, this, this convert to Christianity. And uh, Christianity wasn't a very popular movement at the time. It was getting people imprisoned to follow Jesus. It was getting people killed to follow Jesus. And Stephen is, Stephen is one of those people who was killed. And, and what he did is he shared the gospel. He shared the fact that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah that the nation of Israel had been waiting for. And he recounted how he knows that Jesus is the Savior, not only for him, but for all of those who were listening. And what happened is this, this, this riot started, this crowd started, and, and the Jews gathered around him, and they took rocks to stone him to death, to kill him. For sharing the gospel. And they did. But, but it says this. In Acts chapter 7. It says, but he, being Stephen. Full of the Holy Spirit. Gazed into heaven. And saw the glory of God. And Jesus. Standing at the right hand of God. And so as Stephen is getting rocks thrown at him. To kill him. 
he looks up and he sees this vision of heaven. The, 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 the clouds open up. I don't know how, what it looked like for him, but we see what he saw. And what he saw was Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, here's what's interesting. Any other time you see Jesus at the right hand of God, he's seated because his work is done. But here he's standing. You know why a lot of commentators say that he's standing? It's because he's doing this. Good job. Good job, Stephen. You're faithful. Faithful to the end. And y'all, I want to tell you, that is God's heart for you. He stands there and he claps and he says, good job. You've got this. You can do this. That is his heart for you. That is his heart for me. That is his heart for us. Y'all, God knew this pandemic was going to happen. We all know that, right? God orchestrated all of this because he's got something better for us. And he is cheering us on as we seek him to find what that is. You see, God is rebuilding, right? And what he's asking us to do, what he's asking you to do, will require more faith more trust than you have ever had in Jesus before. This I know. What I also know is that when you take that step, no matter how scary that step is, no matter, no matter how big or how small that step is, when you take that step, Jesus is standing there like this. And that step will require more faith and more, more obedience because God is rebuilding. And when that alarm clock goes off in your soul where, where injustice meets mercy and where confusion meets clarity, when that alarm clock goes off, he is inviting you to be a rebuilder with him. Not to go it alone, but to go it with and so as we move through this series, I'm going to keep asking you the same question. What is God stirring in you? Our task is to prayerfully and faithfully ask that question. What is God stirring in me? And as we go through this series, we're going to have alarm clocks go off in, my, in our souls. Let's talk about them. Let's see what God is doing. Because he's up to something. Do y'all believe me? Y'all believe me that God is up to something? I sure do. I hope so. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. And, and, and man, you just, you, you have such great plans for us. And, and by your mercy and, and grace, you, and, and when it seems scary and when it seems weird, remember that we're with you. And when it seems like it's not working out, let us have patience to trust you. In Christ's name, I pray, amen.